From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, I'm Anique Aiken, and this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, October 20th. Today, David Bank joins me to share an exciting update from Impact Alpha. Hi, David. Hey, Monique. It's great to be back. And we'll hear your conversation with Graham Singh of Trinity Centers Foundation in Montreal about the financing mechanisms they're developing for repurposing surplus church properties for nonprofits and affordable housing. But first, here's what you need to know from the week in Impact Investing. A climate resilience hub opened in Baltimore this week, the first of a wave of community-based projects enabled by the Inflation Reduction Act. The IRA's direct pay provision allows nonprofits and other tax-exempt entities to sell the law's tax incentives to companies with tax liabilities. In Baltimore, the faith-based city of refuge has been outfitted with solar panels and battery storage to reduce energy costs and create a safe place for residents during power outages or extreme weather. Groundswell, a nonprofit solar developer, is leveraging the IRA incentives to bring low- and moderate-income communities into the clean energy economy. Groundswell's Michelle Moore and Elvis Moleka shared the details on Impact Alpha. Tax increment financing has a mixed reputation as a redevelopment strategy. Chicago is trying to repurpose the mechanism for social equity to bring public transit to the city's far south side, one of Chicago's most underinvested areas. With ridership down, credit ratings of many transit authorities have been downgraded, raising borrowing costs. Chicago's, quote, equity TIF mixes projects in more affluent areas with funding for development in underinvested neighborhoods. The city has committed to, quote, development without displacement. Elemental Accelerator is known for spotting and nurturing climate tech talent working on community-centric solutions. The Hawaii-based nonprofit climate tech investor backed 15 new ventures, including C16 Biosciences in New York, which is making a sustainable replacement for palm oil, Olakun Minerals in Los Angeles, which is developing a way to extract lithium and other minerals from the brine of desalination plants and oil and gas fracking, and Gradient, which makes window heat pumps which is recruiting talent from workforce development programs like Block Power's Civilian Climate Corps in New York. And finally, investors are using a gender lens to find opportunities in Latin America. Impact Alpha's Dennis Price and Cesar Chavez were in Medellin, Colombia for Promoher's Gender Lens Investing Forum Latam, now in its fourth year. Catch their video interviews from the conference on our YouTube page. The link is in the show notes. So David, this was a big week for Impact Alpha. Can you share the news with our listeners? Sure, Monique. Um, You know, we've reported on thousands of impact investments over the years, so we were super excited to announce a deal of our own this week. We've closed on $3.3 million in equity financing from a terrific group of impact investors. It includes the Ford Foundation, Sorensen Impact Foundation, and Common Future And we're already hard at work building more and better services for agents of impact, as we call our our, our readers, as you know. Um, We figure the more we can do for them, the bigger our impact. So um, I don't want to miss this chance either to give a shout out uh, to the whole Impact Alpha team. I'm so proud of the work of Zulema, Dennis, Amy, Jessica, Rudy, Isaac, and I've left out so many others who have been so helpful on our journey. So um, our deep thanks to all of you. And of course, Monique, to you and to Brian, our podcast co-hosts. 
<laughs> well, congratulations to you and the entire team at Impact Alpha for this milestone. Thanks, Monique. And thanks for being uh, such a big part of it, including last week's Agents of Impact call, where you rounded up the state of the field with Kathy Clark and Fran Siegel, uh, an annual tradition. And we've really enjoyed meeting so many Agents of Impact out and about this fall at Climate Week in New York, the GSG Summit in Spain, the GIN Impact Forum in Copenhagen, the GLI just this week in Medellin, Colombia. And we're looking forward to seeing many more old friends and new friends at next week's SOCAP in San Francisco. Uh, one new friend is Graham Singh, uh, who you mentioned, whom we met at the GIN this month. Terrific. Let's jump right into your conversation with Graham. Welcome, Graham. Great to be here, David. Thanks for a nice to have a chat. I think you've got a big idea about um, how to turn sort of a problem into an opportunity. Um, yeah. uh, church properties. Yeah. Tell us about it. Yeah. So we're, we're creating a mortgage fund for charities to be able to operate closed churches. We've got loads of charities that need space. We've got loads of empty churches. And so we have, we're trying to see that transition happen. And we have empty churches because church attendance is down, yeah. uh, aging population. We call it a once in 500 year operating system revolution in faith communities and the way in which Europe's religions worked uh, has changed in 500 years. It's a big part of colonialism. You want to see a picture of what colonization looks like, just go and find a, a big old white church steeple in the middle of a city and say, what if the folks who run that property actually want to see that place serve the poor and community and impact? And that's what we're seeing. We're trying to create a financing vehicle to allow that transformation to happen with those very important urban properties. Yeah, they're 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 terrific buildings. They're Absolutely. right in the middle of town. They've got they land around them. And so what are folks yeah. doing? How, how do you how do you repurpose them? So we have two main outcomes. One is a community hub where we keep the building and we just use it all the time for as many charities and nonprofits, social enterprises as we can. And the second is we don't need that building and it could become housing. Uh, so those are our two main outcomes. And so what is the sort of financing mechanism that enables that all to happen? So property, mortgages, it's something everybody understands. Uh, if five charities get together and they want to buy a church, can they go down to the bank and get a mortgage? Sometimes. No. <laughs> rarely. <laughs> Very rarely. Usually they will go with a large foundation who will go like a parent would to come and co-sign a mortgage and they will guarantee that. We're trying to make that happen at scale. So we're creating a credit enhancement vehicle, which will be made up of government and philanthropy. In Canada, that's uh, including a two of our federal government departments. One is our new federal social finance fund, which we can't stop talking about in Canada. We're really excited about $750 million of Canadian federal government funding to help de-risk social impact investment structures like this. Uh, and then philanthropic capital that wants to be there doing this kind of thing. That credit enhancement vehicle then allows us to issue a bond. And the intention is to get that bond to investment grade, which as we all know is the only thing for many foundations and institutional investors that want to be in this impact space, they still have quite traditional investment policy statements. To give them an investment grade bond is where we're trying to get to with this. So they uh, fund the bond uh, and the bond proceeds help charities buy church properties. You got it. The, ch the charities then keep the property tax and other deductions. That's a key part That's of right. it. That's right. That's right. And um, the charities then, as you said, can develop it in 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 various ways and correct and build it into a entrepreneurship hub well, or an art center that's right. or whatever that community needs and those could be charities it could be nonprofits it could be social enterprises and uh, that tax exemption of course is part of our number one impact metric which is the reduction of rents so you look at affordable housing affordable housing is a reduction of rent from the market rent 
for those who need affordable housing. How do we create affordability in rents for the social sector, right? We want charities, nonprofits, social enterprises to be able to operate in an urban environment, but as prices, as rents rise, they're being outpriced. So this is a way of actually helping with some rent control, uh, cost control anyways, for the social sector. And in Canada, this is the Anglican Church uh, mostly, or not? No. but not only? No. So here's a little uh, easy thing that anybody in North America will recognize. You know, you go to Europe and you have one church per village, right? It's either a Catholic or a Protestant church, depending where you are. You come to North America, you had every Protestant church and even every type of Catholic church exported to most communities in North America, right? You go to Main Street America, Main Street Canada, you got Anglican, Lutheran, Catholic, Presbyterian, all on Main Street. So uh, actually we have an oversupply of the different denominations and just getting them working together to realize what are the buildings we need to keep and what are the ones that could be developed into housing, for instance, there's a certain rationalization. So in Canada, we're getting everybody together and uh, there's some echoes of the same conversations. There are, as, as we know, there are beautiful conversations happening around the US as well. And one of the things that's interesting is the churches can then come back and rent the space that's for it. their Sunday morning service. That's it. That's it. From an impact investing point of view, our main beneficiaries are the non-religious entities who need space, right? These are the black-led, women-led, indigenous-led organizations who often say, and it's true, that they have been excluded from religious narratives or really defavored uh, in that structure. So those are our main beneficiaries. But exactly, as you say, a religious community that may have once been the owner or may still own the land, and there's an operating entity that is operating the property and doing the lending, or being the recipient or the holder of that uh, financing, sure, they can turn around and say to the church, do you want to come back and rent Sunday morning? Uh, and that's a good deal for the church. It's a good deal for the communities that are there. Uh, it also then helps open up and say, hey, why don't we have Muslim groups there on Friday? What about Jewish groups there on the Saturday? We've actually created another layer of peacemaking uh, for those faith communities. Yes, it's one. Now, if we look at faith communities as one group of impact creators, creating trust, loyalty, adding that faith lens into the community again, it's right-sized and that property is now collectively governed rather than religiously governed. And you are operating in Canada. Any opportunities to, to do the same thing in the U.S. or is the situation different? Absolutely. So Canada is a good place to start because our level of religiosity is sufficiently low, right? <laughs> Try going to Boston or, you know, the Pacific Northwest, levels of religiosity very low. Try this in Texas and you might say, well, you know, Texas has a very different story. We've been told off for saying that in Texas, by the way, <laughs> and quite a few Texans have come and say, we are seeing that shift happening in Texas as well. So Canada is a place where the, the levels of relig the religious decline effectively is creating conditions that make sense for this. But we have a number of collaborators across the U.S., very, very good organizations. If we can create a financing structure at scale and that investment grade bond is a key to getting there, that instrument and frankly, copies of it or better versions than what we're creating uh, can serve uh, this problem really around the world. One uh, opportunity for you or one uh, uh, possible, let me start again. Um, here's a challenge. Yeah. Black churches in the U.S. Yes. where um, sometimes the uh, attendance has gone down. They're sitting on, as you said, very valuable pieces of property um, so in some cases. Um, the finances of the church often are not that great. Yes. Um, what can be done? Well, let's go back to my earlier comment of the old white churches. I meant that very intentionally, right? The old communities of the wealthy white governing class of any city usually build the cathedrals in the center of the city. The blacker and browner a community is, the more likely it is to be in the suburbs or in the poor area of town. Here's another piece. 
old white churches in the past generation have built new churches in the suburbs. So this is where we have in America, the largest churches, same in Canada. We've actually evacuated the city center. Boomers love suburbs. Hipsters hate suburbs. Hipsters like city centers. So actually the more vibrant, dynamic, multicultural, multiracial communities are back into the city centers. And some of the black churches in North America are the most dynamic, most inclusive, most interesting. They want back into the city centers. They have property often that can be built for, uh, can be used for development. And they know how, and they're very integrated with all kinds of aspects of care in the community. So if we want to talk as simply as black churches, white churches actually having a bit of a property swap, there's something of that going on. It needs to happen. And it's not going to happen quite as easily as that. But now add another layer, David, we can actually have more conservative religious communities and more liberal communities sharing a space. And that's another division to think, come on, we do not need to have right and left attach themselves to religious beliefs. It's very unhelpful. Actually bringing them together in the same space, I believe can give them space to express their beliefs and we can run those properties in a more efficient way. So there's another, we used to call these unintended consequences and now realizing they are intended. That's where we're going. Or maybe uh, intended opportunities. I love it, Graham, how you're uh, taking a whole bunch of factors, putting it together and coming up with a, a fusion solution. Well, I want to thank you, David, for all you're doing with Impact Alpha. We, we became a subscriber a couple of years ago during the pandemic when we had to sit and learn what was going on. And actually every single week I get deal structure, deal structure, deal structure into my inbox, uh, webinars, and I've been learning. And I want to thank you for what you've done to help us get to where we are today. Well, we appreciate that. Thank you, Graham Singh from the Trinity Centers Foundation in Montreal. Thanks, David. And that's going to do it for this week's Impact Briefing. Thanks to David, Graham, and our producer, Isaac Silk. Sign up for Impact Alpha Open, our free weekly newsletter, directly at impactalpha.com. Or become a subscriber to get full access to our award-winning daily coverage in impact investing and sustainable finance. Just go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe. Thank you for listening. I'm Monique Aiken, Managing Director for TIP, the Investment Integration Project. Be sure to check back for next week's briefing. And until then, take care.